Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. All right, hey, this is Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons. Welcome to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Brad Garoon from Burger Weekly. Brad, how are you? Rev, I'm good. Are you out of breath? Uh, that was a very long statement. If if it was a uh, if I had typed it up, it would have been a run on sentence, and the grammar Nazis would be after me. Nazis are terrible. Well, in all forms, I would agree. Brad, you you recently had a a fun burger adventure on the Snapchats. Can you uh, can you tell us about your Snapchat adventure? Sure thing, man. Always trying out the new socials. Snapchat is not new at all anymore. But uh, I I was like, what? How can I how can I do two things? How can I get more comfortable taking video of myself, which is I don't think a skill that everybody needs. We don't all have to be narcissists, but I kind of am. So uh, I was like, how can I get more comfortable on video while simultaneously eating a lot of great burgers and getting more used to playing with Snapchat? All those things came together uh, when I saw the one millionth instance of a non-slider slash mini burger being called a slider. Uh, and I was in Michigan at the time visiting my family for Thanksgiving. So I decided to do a, a long Snapchat story about all the great slider places around Southeast Michigan, um, of which there are many. There are tons of White Tower uh, joints like Bates and, and Greens and Hunter House. And that's just to name a few. Um, Moaches. Moaches. I didn't make it there. Miller's. Um, the list is very large. Right. Miller's, Miller's would have been great to go to for the example I was trying to make because Miller's um, sells large sliders. A sliders the size of, of what a normal human might call think is of a hamburger, although so does Bates. Uh, Bates's. But um, no, just Bates, not Bates's. But uh, didn't make it to Miller's. Also, I wanted to go to more of the, the White Tower style places, the places that really model themselves off of White Castle. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Eight, uh, three and a half sliders. Uh, half a dozen cider mill donuts and some cider mill cider. It was a lot of fun. Got great a great response on Snapchat. My only my only frustration with Snapchat is that it doesn't really allow the audience to engage. Uh, you know, you, your feedback is only how many people watch and continue to watch the story as it goes on. And you can also see screenshots, which really only happened when I posted a website uh, web address on one of the snaps. But uh, the most important thing is that the sliders at Bates. And Hunter House were amazing, and the sliders of greens were pretty good. But I could tell that the ladies on the grill were kind of not thrilled about working at the hour they were working the day before Thanksgiving. So not quite as delicious. Rev, you have a, a Snapchat story to share? Yeah, and so for a very similar uh, for a very similar reason, I did a little Snapchat fun over the Thanksgiving holiday myself, and uh, this is the very first time I've ever cooked Thanksgiving dinner. I've you know participated in eating certainly, and I've made a dish or two, but I've never I've never run gun. I've never been the, the sole man in the kitchen, and uh, this year it was my turn to to cook Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, as you know from a few podcasts ago, I've always had a dream of stuffing my bird with uh, White Castle sliders, and so since this year, my rule my kitchen my bird uh i decided that this was going to be the year that i made stuffing out of white castle sliders but you know because i'm i'm about the socials and i'm about the social media networks uh i decided to basically sort of live snapchat the whole process and it ended up being i think 14 different videos from you know whether i was chopping vegetables to mixing the bird to going to the white castle and standing in line at nine o'clock at night and buying them uh, and you're right. I, I actually kind of wanted more engagement than I got. Uh, thankfully, I also sort of chronicled it on on Instagram and Twitter, and so I, the engagement that my uh, my ego needed was there. Uh, but it was really, really fun. It was really, really delicious. I would absolutely do it again. Uh, and I mean, make the stuffing, uh, probably the Snapchat as well. Uh, it was easier than you think it is, and it was uh, it was it was a great moment to be uh, to do that for social media. In fact, a lot of my friends who like to feed my ego as well told me, Oh, you won the internet for the day, but you know, I'm going to tell you one way in which you did not win the internet for the day, please. Uh, maybe I will edit this out, but we'll see. I'm going to air some dirty laundry, right? Go for it. Uh, this is my biggest, my biggest Snapchat pet peeve is when oh. people post to the story and post it direct to all their followers. What do you mean? Oh, where like, so, so I sent it, so I sent it to you and put it on my story. Indeed. And what don't you like about that? It's, well, you're not the only one who does it. It's quite common. Um, I just, because uh, I look, I'm the kind of person who, when I go into my Snapchat stories, I look at every single one of them. So I'm seeing the same stuff twice. 
Ah, well, I specifically wanted to share that with you for uh, research purposes, but now well, that, you, now that well, you've snap shamed me. Now I feel bad. <laughs> God, but, this podcast is going to be just like a, this particular episode is going to be a series of instances where I feel like I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> well, look, I think the point here, and this will be a good segue into our conversation with Chef Plum, is, you know, social media is about storytelling and, and that's what it's supposed to be. And that's, you know, if you want to win uh, two things, it's got to look good and sound interesting, but you have to be conveying uh, something bigger, something more than I ate this hamburger. You know, you were like, I'm going to tell, I'm going to show you what a slider really, really is. And I'm going to do it through a fun little story here that you can follow me along with. That's pretty cool. Right. Also, uh, I have a statement and then a question. My statement first is you can, you can, I saved the, the Snapchat story, put it up on YouTube and you can see it now by the time this podcast goes up for sure on burger weekly in my article about said sliders i'll post the the youtube video there too in case you missed it doesn't translate so well to youtube what with the vertical um aspect ratio but so be it and uh, i have a question for you how did the white castle stuffing compare to the emily stuffing it it's not comparable it's not comparable the the white castle stuffing tastes like thanksgiving stuffing i mean it's breaded there's meat there's onions like it's really really good but that Emily burger and that Emily stuffing and the duck was just from another. It was from another planet. That was an eating experience that is unlike uh, a lot of what's available out there. Cool. All right, let's talk to Chef Plum. Hey guys, what's going on? I'm Chef Plum, and I'm here with Rev and Brad, and we're talking about last week's episode, <laughs> the burger lift. It's fantastic. This is what happens when you have someone who has his own podcast on the podcast. <laughs> no, the worst part about doing it's these, though, whenever you do, whenever you do like group conversations, you never know when it's your turn to talk. So I just keep talking. That's fine. That's fine. It helps us from having that awkward pause that happens inevitably all the time. Multiple all the time. <laughs> all the time. I hate dead air. You guys go ahead. I'll just have my beer. And, and there's the first tip you'll be sharing with our audience. Just keep talking. It's true. <laughs> just run your mouth. <laughs> so, so with that, we're going to welcome Chef Plum to the podcast today. He is a, uh, he is a gigantic uh, culinary entertainment resume. I don't know if that's a thing, but we'll make it now. Uh, he's a winner of Guy's Grocery Games on the Food Network. He's been featured on ABC's The Taste. Jamie Oliver's Food Tube, CBS, NBC, BET, several appearances on the Food Network. He's a regular on Better CT on WFSB. He's on Fox CT. He's a regular on Star 99.9. He's on eHow.com. He's got a pop-up restaurant dinner series called Dinner Underground. He has a family with three kids. Chef Plum, the question we will start with today after all of that, is it true that your culinary career began at Taco Bell? (laughs) <laughs> it's very true, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's awesome to talk to you. Um, yes, my first job in the food business was at Taco Bell, and I am proud of that uh, to the umpteenth degree because let me tell you what, there's nothing better in the world than a taco, and when you're my age, I'm not my age now, but when I was that age, young, 15 years old, working in a Taco Bell till 2 in the morning, 2 in the morning tacos, nothing better. I'm a fake. Do you still eat there? No. by the way this segment is brought to you guys by Taco Bell Uh, no um, uh, no not really I haven't had one of those nights in a long time now that I have three children and so what did you learn working at Taco Bell that you still use today you know it's a funny it's a a true story and a really legit question believe it or not you know what you learn at Taco Bell at least what I learned at Taco Bell was uh, the the whole you know you gotta move and keep moving and keep moving and never stop moving because in the kitchen Everything is so fast-paced. It's not about what's happening in 10 minutes. It's about what's happening right now. And that's what I picked up the most from working at a Taco Bell because everything is right now. I'll tell you, I worked at McDonald's for 18 months. That was one of my first jobs, and I learned two things. That, and the other thing was if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Time to clean. That's right, baby. (laughs) You got time to lean, you got time to clean. It's funny because anyone who works with me in a kitchen now or doing a catering job or a pop-up restaurant, if I catch one of them leaning, uh, usually I make them carry everything. Oh, that's that's your form of punishment. Well, I don't know if it's punishment or not. It's just it's just to let them know that I see them. And uh, it's funny because uh, my sous chef now will catch people doing it, and he will uh, like hit them on the side and like don't let chefs see you, don't let chefs see you. Because uh, I, I graduated from CIA and uh, the Culinary Institute of America. It's like one of those football games where you see the guys' heads pop up and, and they talk about like the offensive line where they came from. And I always pictured myself popping up and being like the Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> uh, but it's the Harvard of Culinary Schools, in my humble humble opinion. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's just beaten to your brain, man. You're so right. Like, it's just, it, there's no time to be leaning around because it's disrespecting other people who are around busting their ass. 
That's so funny. So I worked at Einstein Bagels growing up, and nice. the only thing we learned there was you can do whatever you want to the food. You can prank people. You can sleep in the bathroom, but if you leave on someone else's lunch break, that's when you get fired. <laughs> well, Jesus, dude. Yeah. Uh, where was this Einstein Brothers? i got to make sure that I don't ever go I don't there. Think, I don't think it's okay for me to say. I think I should keep that to myself. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll, we'll keep it a private conversation. But uh, just pay attention to my Twitter. I'll tweet it out later. And Brad tells me what Einstein Brothers that was. And by the way, this this segment's brought to you, everybody, by Einstein Brothers Bagels. How many times can I pull that joke off? We have so Let's many, keep it going. So many great sponsors. So <laughs> you're doing well. I can't believe it. <laughs> so, so Plum, how does somebody go from Taco Bell to being on TV? You know, it's I don't know. Um, I woke up one. No, what happened was. Uh, I was always a theater kid. Uh, I was into acting. I was into doing that sort of stuff. And I actually went to school for music theater uh, my first time around in college. I feel like I'm in an AA meeting. Um, <laughs> the first time we went to college, and it was, like I said, for music theater. And um, I realized that like college is hard. And I was working in a restaurant at the time and doing pretty well for myself. And I said, you know, I should go to culinary school. And I ended up going to culinary school and then, you know, doing pretty well at it and, you know, working at a bunch of really high-end hotels, Michelin star hotel, five diamond, five star, triple A, mobile rated hotels, and doing that whole gimmick. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm moving back up here to the Northeast with my wife, and I see an ad. I'm sitting home with, as a stay-at-home dad during the day with my children, and I'm watching uh, uh, ABC is on, because like any stay-at-home mom, I think I was watching The View. <laughs> um, probably wearing a, a, a robe and enjoying a cup of broth at the time. Um, I'm painting a picture for you. I'm a wordsmith. You like that? So <laughs> I'm doing that right now. So there <laughs> we go. <laughs> but I actually wore underwear with my robe, Rev. I know you're sitting there in that chair with nothing else on but the robe. It's a little uncomfortable. I would you turn the video off. Um, and I saw an ad like uh, uh, on on ABC for this new show called The Taste, and uh, I said, "The hell with it. Why not?" And I uh, sent them an application. Uh, they called me. Uh, well, because at first I should say the application when I filled it out. I just gave the most ridiculous answers you've ever seen. Like, I was just making stuff up. Like, I don't know. You know, to me, life is like pro wrestling. There's good guys and there's bad guys, and the bad guys are always more interesting. So I just I, I gave the most crazy, ridiculous answers you could ever have believed, and it didn't make sense, and it was just insane. And I guess I was the first person to do that with them because I get a phone call, and they asked me to come to a private audition as opposed to going to the open call. I'm so glad that you just mentioned pro wrestling because I'm sitting here thinking, what does this cadence of voice remind me of so much? But when I was in college, I lived with pro wrestlers, and I was like, this guy is using carny talk. <laughs> uh, I, Brad, I actually had a stint as a pro wrestler. I went to oh, for real? That's a whole other podcast. And so, well, we're yes, going to we're gonna have to get into that at some point. Solid gold pro wrestler in Richmond, Virginia. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you think being the heel, per se, is the key to being successful on television? Well, there's a great, there's a great way to talk about that because uh, it, on the taste, when I went up for my interview, I go upstairs. Uh, I'm very nice. I'm like, hey, guys, how are you? Shaking hands, introducing myself. My name's Tom. I'm great to meet you. Um, and then the second they put the camera on, I just fuck, I just went heel on them immediately, and I started cutting a promo on this woman's shoes and how terrible they were, and I couldn't believe she was wearing them, and the girl that was beside her, how short she was, how did she even get up here? Uh, I, I just and then they were falling on the floor laughing. And the next thing I know, I'm being flown to LA to be on the Taste. All right. So so the, the advice to listeners out there that want to be a <laughs> no tele, no tele, tele, television <laughs> yeah. no, is no. emulate the Iron Sheik. Yes, yes, oh, that I will, one, right? I will humble you. I will break your neck and humble you. No, don't do, don't say that. Yeah. Also, uh, especially given what humbling probably really means. No. Well, especially the Iron Sheik these days. If you listen to him talk, it's pretty embarrassing, and the things he's talking about doing. I'm not sure about that guy, but I hear he's doing well. Thoughts and prayers. So I, anyway, I go to the taste, and and then literally it is it becomes like a, uh, you know, you do one show. I did not do very well in the taste. I was a nervous wreck and a disaster. But uh, I was in the promo for the show. Um, I got to hang out with sixty of the coolest people that I've ever met in my life. It was a restaurant. It was a hotel full of cooks from all over the country. Some very very well known cooks were there, and and to me the word cook is not a bad thing. Uh, to me, one of the best compliments I get is I'm a great cook. Uh, and it, it's funny that once you do something like that, the networking that starts, you know, uh, this person knows this person, and all of a sudden you start getting called to do things uh, because you've done one thing, and you do that one thing very well, people notice it, and it makes it a lot easier to do other television. You know, I think the first thing you want to do when you're trying to do TV uh, would be, which I didn't realize it, but start with your local stations, man. Call them up. These people are dying to have content. If you can call them up or email them or find a way to get in touch with them, 
you can create a rapport with them and they will put you on their programs and then you have that video content. Having that video content is key. So, you know, it's pretty easy for folks to get on camera now given the proliferation of internet shows, but given how nervous you were and how critical you are of your first performance on The Taste, what would you say to someone who's maybe done one thing but wants to get better and better at it as they go? The more you do it, the better. Talking about food while cooking at the same time is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, it's, it's a difficult to be entertaining while you're doing it. Um, I think the, the best thing you can do is repetition. And you know, like I was saying, I think getting on your local TV is a really, really, it, it, it's, listen, local TV is dying. We all know that. But that's not what you're doing it for. You're doing it for the exposure. You're not doing it for the exposure. You're doing it for the experience and for the video content itself that you can use to promote yourself later. What advice would you give to a <laughs> chef or a cook who's looking to network themselves into local TV? Like, how do they find that opportunity? What do they do? How do they say any of that? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, you guys focus a lot on in this show, which is just key to everybody, social media is where it's at these days. That's what it's all about. Uh, you can. I stalked uh, a producer for Channel 3 here where I live uh, for about three weeks, I stalked her on Twitter uh, until she until she had to answer me to tell me to leave me alone, uh, which then I then expressed I wasn't the creep, and then I had been on the taste, and I loved to come cook, and uh, she became very close to me, and we became good friends, and then she helped kind of do other things. It's just a it's I'm I'm a firm believer in as everybody wants to get a piece of the pie, gentlemen. I think that we should just make a bigger pie. That's my belief. I mean, everybody's so tight knit with their people. Let's if we help each other out, we can get a lot further. So. Uh, obviously, being on a giant network TV show helped me uh, be able to be more legitimate or legitimize myself as a, as a cook to be able to go on these other local TV shows. But now, after doing it for so long, I realize that that's definitely the path people should take uh, if they're looking to do television because it makes you better the more and more you do it. So what, what are TV producers looking for in chefs and other cal uh, culinary advocates? You know, it's funny. You think about these shows and what they're doing, and especially these local TV shows, or even things like the Today Show or Fox and Friends or you know shows like that. You think about what they're doing on there. Uh, I had a very smart person one time tell me, "What does the this is great, but what does the viewer learn? You know, what does the viewer learn? What does the viewer get out of this?" And it depends on who you are. For me, uh, it's become I go on, and they don't really care what I'm cooking or doing. They care more about me being funny and being entertaining. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, it's pretty far from my own regular personality. I'm actually a very shy person. Uh, Rev, you know that. You've seen me. It's coming, um, it's coming through really strong here. <laughs> but no, you've kind of found what your niche is. You know, some guys go on and they're fantastic cooks. They're great chefs, and they go on and they make a fantastic, beautiful recipe. The problem is when you do that, uh, it becomes very monotone. And then you're going to take the onions and you slice the onions up. You're going to pop them right in the pan. Make sure your oil is nice and hot when you put it in there. You've already lost me. You know, you've already completely lost me. A great example is this, and you can find this online if you look it up for me, if anybody cares. I got to do uh, the weekend news recently at one of my local channels. Now, I have never done the weekend news, and I learned that the weekend news is, is pretty much where they send these new young anchors to go, and they kind of learn their chops, right, on the weekend news. It's like, I guess, the smaller scale of the during-the-week news. So this woman asked me. I go to her show. It's for Halloween. Uh, I'm dressed up. Uh, myself and my sous chef were dressed up like... We're uh, playing like we're in the dodgeball team from the movie Dodgeball, um, and I, I can I can visualize this. Yeah, it was awesome. I had the tight shorts on. It was like, wow, nice camel toe, fella, and the big red sock. It was it was sweet. So uh, and the segment starts, and we're basically talking about Halloween treats, like different things you can do with food for Halloween. This woman had no idea what happened. In the middle, the segment starts. I completely take over the segment. I'm loud. I'm laughing. I have my partner with me, my sous chef, who we do a whole pen and teller thing. I don't let him talk. And I was calling him Rowdy Rick Danger, and I was talking about how he maintains his Adonis-like figure. I started calling the weather guy an alcoholic. I was saying, these aren't drinks you can drink like at your house. The woman, the main anchor, is standing beside me. Her hand is covering her mouth. She is visibly laughing. She's dying. She has to walk off set in the middle of the live shot because she can't control herself. Because I am just, I, I'm, I'm completely, they had no idea because they were so used to this guy. Then you take the onions and you put the onions in the pan. They were used to that. So guess what happened? This segment goes out. I get a bunch of emails about it, tweets about it. Then what happens? Well, now people want me to come do parties. I'm booked completely from December because of doing segments like that on local TV. Chef Plum, the world's first heel clown chef. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know if I call me a clown. Is that insulting? I don't know. Maybe it is. You're telling know. jokes and doing parlor tricks. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was. I was watching me pull a rabbit out of the hat, and I won't let this guy talk, and 
I called the weather guy an alcoholic. It was, it was, it was pretty funny, man. Was, but those are the things people like to see. You know, when they see that on TV, they're watching that. As far as a chef who's got his own business and doing catering and private chef work, this guy looks like he's fun. This guy looks easy because when people want parties at their house and caterings and private chefs, they don't want someone who's going to be a pain in the ass. They want someone who's going to be fun and easy because it's already a very awkward thing to bring someone into your house to do things like this. I think you need to go down this path of the uh, the magic clown chef because you could pull the rabbit out of the hat and then make terrine with it. Yeah. I, am, I am down with show and food. That works. <laughs> that does work. Hey, guys, check out my rabbit. Now let me show you how to bleed it. All right. <laughs> That's right. Kids, this is a great trick, guys. Check it out. It's great for fifth graders. You know, We don't want to go third graders. The fifth graders is fantastic. Maybe you actually the trick is you put the rabbit in the hat, and then you pull out the terrine, and you just skip the whole bloody mess. Maybe that's it. You know, I always wondered, Rev, we had a competition recently, you and I were judges at, and were we ranking it by how many nine-year-olds we could beat up or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the exact conversation. I just want to make sure if I'm getting painted like this, you're coming with me. That's all. <laughs> Healthy male activity right here. I, I think the con- we were eating some very, very, very hot wings at the uh, Wings in October Fest with, uh, that Matt Curry put on from Best Wings uh, New York. And what a great was, He's amazing. He was actually our very first podcast guest. And uh, Plum and I are eating these wings that Matt Curry's dad made, and they were the hottest wings I've ever had in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, they and, were. <laughs> but the problem with some wings is they're so hot that you can't eat them because they don't taste good. Right. But, but these had like an agave nectar in them, and they were they tasted so good I could not stop eating them. But anyway, the point was we were judging how intense the fire was in our mouth, or how many kids we'd have to beat to get it to go away. <laughs> That's right. How many how many nine year olds? You can be more specific because we were very specific <laughs> with it. And then we came with all these rules. Is it Royal Rumble rules? Do they come one every minute, or is it like all at once? Or what's the rules here? <laughs> This is mortifying. <laughs> hey, man, you invited me. <laughs> so, is this, so what you're saying, this is what TV producers are looking for in shows. Well, yes, so make sure whenever you talk to a producer, always talk about rank things and how many nine-year-olds you can beat up. Or they like the old people, too. How many old people you can I'm kidding. I love old people. This segment brought to you by AARP. <laughs> That's right. Three times. Same They're joke. throwing out a lot of money, those AARP. <laughs> Do you really, do you want to know a true a true statistic? Uh, 55% of the buying power at restaurants is held by people who are uh, not over there who are uh, retired. Really? And that is the is the highest buying power segment and it is the lowest uh, lowest segment that's marketed to out there. There's less money spent on senior citizens than any other segment of diners and they have the most buying power. Wow, how about that, huh? Yeah, I learned that recently. I am uh, completely going to open a restaurant, and we're going to have ramps to every door. We are going to make uh, the little potty gimmicks available. Anyway, aren't you? <laughs> Say it again. Aren't you supposed to have ramps to every door? Oh, at the one, maybe every door, and then we'll have. I don't know. You're ruining my gimmick now, Brad. I appreciate yeah, that's, it. That's I'm I'm the spoiler man. That's all I'm here for. I mean, I had a great <laughs> joke coming, and you just like fucking train wrecked us. Sorry, I cursed. You can just you just ran it right into the ground. That's okay. We'll try again later. So what, what, what Plum is saying that he currently only works with restaurants that are uh, open for a Title III lawsuit. Uh, yes. If, if you don't yes. know what that is, we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, honestly, the biggest thing is for me when I do these food segments on TV, I mean, if anyone can learn anything from, from listening to this and hearing me talk about it, the food part's important, but be entertaining, be likable. If you're not likable, then what's the point of doing it? You have to be likable. People have to want to talk to you. People have to want to come and see you or have you come to their house. Because if you don't do that, then why are you why are you even bothering? So so I think that brings up a good point. What can a chef or, or cook do to stay on TV once they have the opportunity? Absolutely. Just panning off of what I just said. Um, panning off, is that a saying? I just made it up. I have a microphone. I'm an expert, so we'll call it a saying. Panning off of what I just said, uh, I think it's important to be entertaining, have be likable. Have people, people, people want to root for somebody. I was recently on Cutthroat Kitchen. I did not win because I had to play golf with eggs. Long story. The, the group of people that I was with, uh, they were very shy. It was their first time doing television and, and then me. And Cutthroat Kitchen is a very, like they want you to talk trash to each other. They want you to run your mouth. Uh, these people weren't very good at that. They actually stopped production right before we started cooking our first round, pulled me aside and asked me, uh, to to liven it up. Could I come on here and could I could I could I you know be a little more aggressive? And I said, you want me to come out here and be the bad guy or be the heel, Brad? And uh, they were like, well, yeah, if you don't mind. And my wife has always said, please don't do that. Please don't do that because you have three kids. 
but clearly, John Wayne isn't John Wayne without the black cowboy guy, you know, without the bad guy. So somebody has to be the bad guy. And what's better than the bad guy when his whole steam runs out of being the bad guy becomes the good guy. So then you get a whole other run out of the deal. So uh, I say, okay, and I run my mouth, gentlemen, and I get off one of the greatest dick jokes ever, and they let it air on Food Network. Really? Uh, oh, my God, it was the greatest thing ever. Now, I didn't really promote. I don't promote when I lose, uh, but this I get out knocked out the first uh, first whatever uh, competition of the show, right? But literally, gentlemen, the first half, I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm getting to a point. Don't worry. Uh, I'm not trying to put myself over, Brad. I know you're sitting there going, this guy's putting himself over. He's an asshole. That's not what I'm doing. The, the, the show airs, and it's me for the first half hour of the show, literally running my mouth the entire time. I had so much airtime on that show. I won grocery games, and I got more airtime on Cutthroat Kitchen, where I got eliminated in the first round, uh, because I'm talking. Never, ever stop talking if you're on television. Never. Don't worry about looking stupid. Don't worry about any of that. When the show aired, I, I said some pretty horrible things to people on that show, but they asked me to. When the show airs, I'm the guy you root for, because I'm the guy who clearly got screwed. I'm a nice family guy. I'm funny. They, they, put me, they made me look really, really, really good on that program. I was very happy with how it turned out. I was once told, uh, you know, I've done a number of, of food TV shows myself, not to the extent that you have. Really? Recently, right? You had something yeah, recently. I was on the cooking channel last week. It's a true story. One of the most important things that was ever said to me when doing, you know, food reality TV was speak in tweets. You know, what, what are these, like, little yeah. snacky tidbits that you can get in under 140 characters? Would you say that that resonates? Completely. You say speak in tweets, I call it talking sound bites. Same thing. You know, you want to be the guy who says... You know, when you're using dry herbs, it's fantastic. They work great, but just remember to smoosh them in your fingers to release that natural oil. You get a lot more flavor. Soundbite. You know, they take that, boom, there you go. Little, little things like that. Little tips about cooking. You know what I mean? Uh, when you're cutting parsley up on your cutting board, I always put a little salt down when I cut my parsley so it doesn't fly everywhere. And the board won't turn quite as green. You know, all these little tips. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, they put me on for saying a lot is, uh, you know, uh, food, uh, think of food, think of food more as chemistry than art. It's all about balancing acid. Everything good starts with garlic and onion. It, it sticks in your mind, and after you think about watching a segment, you're like, oh, that's the guy who tries to think everything's a science, and he calls himself, you know, thinks he's a scientist. But it works, man, and people love to hear that stuff. We, we made jokes about it before, but I really feel like lessons in pro wrestling teach you about <laughs> lessons in being a TV chef. Well, guys, uh, to me, I, I'm not a giant pro wrestling fan anymore, but nothing mirrors life more than pro wrestling, in my humble opinion, and it's, it's the truth. Uh, it's all about uh, staying true to the gimmick, running what you're trying to do. You know, I told my sous chef today, uh, we had a conversation on the phone, and I said, listen, we want them to come and enjoy the show. We don't want them to know how we make the show. You know, that's, that's, I think that's a really, really important thing to think about, especially as a chef and in the kitchen and things like that. Listen, for the most part, people don't care that want to know how you use CO2 and you cut the fat out of your, your avocado dish uh, by using a, you know, a whipped cream canister. You're already bored, see? You're already bored. All you want to know is the fact, wow, I used, whip, I used a whipped cream canister and, and made uh, foam out of avocado, and it's delicious. You start getting into the whole thing, nobody cares. They lose interest. I, that's what I think. As, lo as long as you don't go full wrestling and make people feel terrible for wanting to know, then you're in good shape. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to lie. I've, hit, I've thrown a few chairs in my day. I've taken a few chairs in my day, and I've thrown a few chairs in my day, especially in the kitchen. It's that's happened. safe. Hey, I'm going to Chris Benoit yourself over here. Easy, easy. Hey, man, I'll make that joke. I don't care anymore. <laughs> you're hardcore. He's hardcore. Brad's hardcore. Um. You know, it's funny because I actually was not not to take it a different on a different route, but I was this the chef who would be in the kitchen and would get annoyed and would get loud and would yell and would say terrible things to people. But then, you know, I I live it's no secret I live in Newtown, Connecticut, and I have children. And after everything happened here, it completely changed my life and it changed everything about how I even function on a day to day basis. And anyone who's in the same business that I am in, every day we should wake up uh, and try to get better than we were the day before. We should try to learn something more than we had the day before, and we should try to teach somebody something that they didn't know before uh, because we're very fortunate to be in the business that we're in and have people care and people want to know what we're doing and how we're cooking food and what we're and having the opportunity to put food on a plate for somebody. I mean, what's more important than that? What's more love than that, you know? Very cool. Uh, do you think that there's room for a chef to make a living doing TV appearances? I've built my career on it, dude. Uh, as far as, I mean, literally... Chefs doing TV stuff, it can become a whole thing now. We love, as a country, we love, like I said, being able to root for people. You know, we like the underdog. 
We like the guy that no one wants to root for. But with the where we live now, with the advent of so many just food shows, I mean, every time you turn Food Network on, except for on Friday nights when you turn it on, and there's nine, nine or twelve episodes of guys, what were they called? Uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. It's all food competition shows. Everybody has them. Network TV is even doing them. But then, with digital television becoming such a big thing, you, all you hear about now is people canceling their cable and going completely digital with things like Foodable, things like Aura. All these big thing networks that are showing up have so much of a food basis. Listen, Jamie Oliver's Food Tube, uh, who I, I want to say more, but I can't um, hint, uh, has 2 million viewers. 2 million people subscribe to Jamie Oliver's Food Tube. That's on them internets. That's not a television channel. Do you Maybe. think... A, a local TV station or even NBC or ABC, if you told them you could put a food show on and guarantee them 2 million views, would they say no? Hell no. It's becoming a real thing. Chefs are almost becoming the new rock stars. I don't want to say that like, I don't say it in a bad way, I don't say it in a good way. Uh, I think that too many chefs are getting away from why we became cooks, why we started doing this in the first place. For me, it became to, I became a cook to meet hot chicks because if you can cook, then girls like you. Uh, however, joking aside, we became cooks to make great food and to pay respect to the business, which we all love. And I think there's a lot of guys now who are coming in this business thinking they can make a living doing shows like Food Network Star. And then they finish that, and then, well, why don't we go do uh, Food Fighters on NBC? Or then we'll go do, you know, you can't do Chopped because that's the one you're supposed to do first. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. So I think you can make a career out of it, but I think after you do that, you kind of become, you know, you get overexposed. You kind of become the laughing stock of it. You know, Emerald. Uh, a guy who I think the world of, and I've, I've had the pleasure to meet many times, and is an incredible cook. You know, there was a time period there, about 2005 or so, where he got completely overexposed. He had too much stuff going on. You know, he had a he had a sitcom. He was doing toothpaste commercials. Like we were all done, and everybody dropped him. You know, because he got overexposed. And I think that's one of the things that can happen uh, when you're doing these Food Network shows, and you're seeing that now kind of trend that way with people who have done Food Network shows because they want to find new people. They want to find people who haven't done their programs yet. Uh, you know, I, I found that out recently. I think you hear about this when it comes to Hollywood actors, uh, and I can start seeing it's becoming a thing with, with cooks and chefs. Would you say there's a lot more room for basically what I would call you know, the working chef, like where you know you do a little TV here and a little TV there, and that really just sort of fuels the rest of your business? You know, that's compl that's uh, Rev, you're so right, man. That's what I've done. Um, you know, I've done uh, my fair share of television programs and whatnot, and it's kind of, it's what I do. You know, that's that's probably 40% of my business of what I do with Plum Love Foods. Um, the other side of that is my catering business, my private chef, my private clients. Every single chance and opportunity that I get to do a television, to do a Food Network show, to do national TV, even to do radio, that alone gives you an opportunity to grow, to grow yourself and get new clients, to get new people to experience your food and experience what you can do. And I think it's a matter of taking that and growing on it, not taking it and saying, wow, I hope somebody comes and finds me. This is the, this is the, this is the tough part with it. You know, when you do one of these shows or you do uh, anything, or even on local TV, and then just sit back and wait for them, uh, it's not going to happen. You have to force it. I mean, literally. It's, it's, it, I've said it before in other things, talking to people in other interviews. It's the hustle, man, and it really is. If you can hustle yourself into it, you know, there you have it. You know, Rev, a great example. An event, uh, the Bacon and Beer Classic, one of my favorite events of the year. I, I love this event so much. It's such a fun day. And uh, the year before, I wasn't really a part of it. However, I got to go to it uh, with a, a TV show that I was hosting at the time, and we went to it, and it was, it was great. We had a great time. Uh, and then I ended up emailing the woman this year to try to go on with my podcast and interview and talk about it. And then one of our other really good friends, uh, Adam Pock, was just recently on my show. He vouched for me. Next thing you know, I'm a judge at this incredible event, which became one of my favorite things of the year. You know, but all of those things wouldn't happen if we hadn't, if I hadn't hustled and pushed. And, and you know, you got to, you can't be afraid to have someone tell you no. You can't be. I've had my legs cut out so many times, gentlemen. You just got to have a short-term memory and get up and keep doing it. So speaking of our good friend Adam Pock and, and Plum Loves Foods, what made you start the podcast and, and tell us a bit more about that? You know, <laughs> so this podcast of mine, I can't believe what's happened to it. It's crazy. I mean, you know, uh, uh, the episode this current week, where I've got the guys from PolyScience on, which is crazy because they, I mean, these guys basically made sous vide a household term. It's insane. Uh, the caliber of guests I've had on. I've had guys like Rev, which is crazy. Um <laughs> I'll wait for the last. Did not be the last. Oh, sorry. I, I'm just not sure which side of that is crazy. <laughs> See, that's because I'm running the gimmick on you, man. Pro wrestling. Um, 
you know, it, but I started the show at the time. I was I was hosting on the Hallmark Channel uh, on a show called The Better Show. It was a stay-at-home mom type show. It came on in the afternoons on the Hallmark Channel, and they had recently the company Meredith had bought All Recipes. You guys know All Recipes, the website where you can go and yeah, of course. Right. So they had bought that, and they were going to make a, a segment out of it on this national televised show, and then eventually that segment would become its own freestanding television program, right? They call me. Uh, they called me because of all of my stuff I've been doing. Uh, I go and audition, and they weren't even looking to have a male on the show. They kept me the entire day and made every female audition with me, which I, I was like, man, I feel pretty good about this. Um, so anyway, I get the gig, uh, contracted for I think five or six or was it eight? I don't know. It was it was a couple of years ago at this point. Uh, um, you know, contracted to go on there and host, and you get paid very well for that, and it's nice. Uh, however. Once I started watching myself host, not be the guest, you realize how hard that is to do. Um, I found so many crutch words I have. A crutch word for people who don't know are things that you say when you don't know what else to say. Mine was, you know what I mean. And I would always say, you know what I mean. And uh, it, it got really, really annoying. Uh, so I thought to myself, what can I do to get better about this? So let me start this silly little podcast. Uh, I know some nice chefs that would come on and talk to me and people who have a little bit of a following. So let me get them on the show and we'll talk and... We'll talk about the business. We'll just, you know, very free-flowing. It became as if we're sitting at the bar together just having a conversation and people get to listen in. And uh, we're on season three. Uh, I just had my 50th episode. Uh, it's insane, man. It's, it's, it's really kind of taken off. And it's almost become a thing where I don't, if I don't do it on a Monday night for some reason, I get emails. I get text messages. I get uh, Twitter messages. Hey, well, who's on tonight? We haven't seen anything. What's going on on the show tonight? So people are really digging it. And what separates me on my show from other shows is that we do it live. We are live on Monday nights. There is no safety net. We just talk and we go for it and we have a conversation and then uh, it, we, it, gets, you know, it goes to iTunes and everything else after that. So it's a lot of fun, man. And so what, what kind of networking opportunities do you think that the podcast provides you for your career? I think the podcast has become almost a staple for, for with Plum Love Foods with my company. It's become something that's kind of synonymous with it. You know, uh, I wouldn't have been able to be a part of the Bacon and Beer Classic without my podcast. Um, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, Paul Mercurio, he's an Emmy winner. He was a writer for The Daily Show. Uh, you know, I, to be able to become friends with him, I wouldn't have had him on the podcast. You know, having the podcast allowed me to have, become friends with him. And, uh, you know, just so many other guys. Uh, you know, Bo McMillan from the Food Network, uh, he's a buddy of mine. And uh, having him on the podcast was just great. But because you have this, 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 I don't, want, I, don't know, I don't want to call it like a stage to talk on because it, it was small at the time. Because you have that, uh, that venue to kind of let people to come on and talk and promote and say what they want. Rev, you've been on. I just let you go, you know. I don't – I let you – you kind of drive the car, you know. You've been there. I would say that beer was driving the car in that conversation. <laughs> Which time? <laughs> Amen. Um, but that's the, that's the fun part about it, and I get so many messages about – uh, you know, for instance, I have a guy who sent me a message about a week and a half ago uh, from the Bacon and Beer Classic episode. He said he listens to it at least once every week or two because it just sounds like it was so much fun to be at this event. He can't wait to go to the event next year because of that. So, so I mean, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give some people uh, advice here based on questions we've asked you. So if you want to get on Chef Plum's podcast. <laughs> Just bum, just bum rush the show. <laughs> if you if you see him speaking to a microphone and you think you are moderately interesting or have something to add to the conversation, just step in and take the mic and talk. And that's hey, man. You get on the that's what happened to you. <laughs> it was fun, man. I loved it. Like you know, I knew who you were. I know what you've done. So I thought it was a, you're you're a great guy to talk to. You have a lot of great stories. You have a lot of great insight. And to me, it goes back to what I was saying before. Watch this, gentleman. Me being a professional broadcaster, it goes back to wanting to learn something and wanting to teach people something different every day. And the more people you talk to, the more opportunity you have to do that. So, so you're also you're on new social media. You've, you've got shows going out on Periscope. How important is it to be on the cusp of what's new in social? And are you, getting, are you seeing a lot of value from that? Social media is where everything is these days um, completely. Uh, it's almost like we live in a world now where no one wants to talk to you on the phone. They'd rather just send you a direct message on Twitter or uh, Instagram, which Instagram is my new – I love Instagram. I'm all over it these days. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, you know, it's, it's like Twitter for people who don't have to read, um, which, which is great. But I think social media is really important, especially for those trying to do television to promote themselves. Uh, you don't have to have 
a bajillion Twitter followers to get the attention of a local TV channel, of a local radio station. These guys are dying for content, but it's also a great way to get in touch with them because they do pay attention to it. And most of the time at these local TV stations, it's not some PR rep handling it. It's actually the person at the TV channel who is doing it. So if you can get in touch with them via social media, uh, you're more likely to have the chance to go on these shows and be able to promote yourself and be able to network and have that content to put on your website because having that, it almost legitimizes you in front of uh, the public. So to me, a social media following is one of the first things in the world I think you have to kind of work on. You have to start with, you have to actually have a social media you know, presence, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And you know, you guys have probably done it too with people you've had on the show. You know, you want to look and see what their social media following is. You want to know, like, you know, is this person worth talking to? Is this person, you know, someone who can also help promote us? Because uh, I think that's what it comes down to. Like I said, make a bigger pie. Don't worry about getting your own piece. Speaking of uh, of Instagram and your social media accounts, uh, I think a very important question here is: Can pink bowls really help one go quote unquote gangsta? <laughs> Damn right. Let me tell you what, brother. If you don't have a pink bowl, you ain't gangsta. So that's for on my uh, Instagram account. You can follow that at Chef underscore Plum because some guy already has Chef Plum. I don't know why. Because if you could pick your own nickname, why would you pick a fruit? Um, what happened was is I do some uh, some work with Publishers Clearinghouse, and um, I don't, don't want to. I hate using. I, I hold products, and and they take pictures of me holding them, and that's what they do. And this past time around, it was these pink bowls. So, uh, you know, embrace it. You know, did I look a little goofy? Sure. But guess what? People got to laugh out of it. You put yourself out there. Again, this guy looks like he's fun. This guy looks like he doesn't take life too seriously. And, you know, you get stuff from it. Everything you put out there is there forever. And I'm okay with being that guy. All right. So b before, before we wrap up this conversation and talking about putting things out there, uh, I have a burning question here as your number one fan, Chef Plum. I'm not taking my pants off again, Rev. Did your kids get the hamster? They did. They have the hamster. Uh, we're actually on hamster number two. <laughs> it's funny. We did that show, and we had a viewing party for it here locally. And uh, uh, I said that, and, and the kids knew about it. And But they don't understand that when you do a show on Food Network and you win, uh, you don't get paid for said show until about six months after show airs. So I taped the show in August. It aired in October. I don't think I got my money for it till June. But immediately the kids are like, hey, let's go get our hamster tomorrow, Daddy. You know, Food Network just hoping you get hit by a bus and they don't have to fucking pay you. <laughs> so before we get into what was so expensive about buying a hamster for your children. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough times, Rev. Tough times. <laughs> so the story goes like this. Tell me if I get it wrong. You were going to be on Guy's Grocery Games and you told your kids that if you did it, if Daddy wins, or I think it was if you pull it off, that they were going to get a hamster. Is that the case? That is correct. That is correct. Uh, I, I had, uh, it, it, that show. I mean, I could tell these stories, but you probably don't care about them. Um, uh, we the, the first game we played in that show was uh, called Can Can, and you had to. We basically had to make a surf and turf, um, but we could only use things out of the canned food aisle. Right? Sounds horrendous. So uh, we run, we go do it, and then we're back, and the times the times going, and everybody starts cooking, and uh, one of the girls who happened to be there uh, at the time. She, I guess, was trying to go too fast, and she opened her can halfway, and she got it with her hand to pull the top off, and, well, the top didn't come off, but, you know, she needed about seven stitches in her hand. So, Ooh, ouch. Yeah. I don't, yeah like I don't like it at all. No, dude, and I've seen that happen to people before, and I don't know why they do that. It's a, it's a rookie mistake. However, uh, I had no idea what I was going to make. I couldn't figure it out. I had grabbed, like, some dinty more beef stew, and I was trying to pull the beef out. I don't know what the hell I was doing. Thankfully... They stop the game, she has to go to the hospital, and a new contestant comes in to take her place, some standby, and they change games. Had that not happened, I don't think I'd have won that show. Well, now we know that your kryptonite, now that we know what your kryptonite is. Yes, we know what yours is too, the English language. <laughs> oh. ah, okay. You're all weak, folks. All right. Yes, and thankful, thankfully Brad's superpower is editing. Yeah, Let's, uh, <laughs> before this gets too intense, let's bring this thing home. Uh, Chef Plum, you know, you've heard the show. <laughs> you know we wrap this up with some burger talk. So tell us, please, what was your number one most favorite burger from childhood? Oh, man. With burgers and child... I grew up down south in Richmond, Virginia. And every Sunday morning, we would wake up, and my mom, who was the worst cook on the planet, uh, it would be 11 in the morning, 10 in the morning, and we all had alcohol problems, Rev. You know what I'm talking about. So we, we, 
would get up and uh, for breakfast we would go to Whataburger. And you guys, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Whataburger. Of course you are, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm on their email list, so that never ends. Okay, so you, <laughs> yeah. this is back I in, I mean... I know. So you're talking maybe 1985, somewhere in that neighborhood, and this particular Whataburger was in a town called Colonial Heights in some little rundown building with, like, a white tin top, and you'd go in there, and there was a guy smoking in the booth in the corner. You'd look over on the flat top, and there's a guy with a rolled-up shirt in his pocket. He's got some marble menthols rolled up, and he's wearing a paper hat. But you go in there, and my God, they were the best thing ever on a Sunday morning. We would get these giant Whataburgers, and I would always get mine with everything they had, even when I was, you know, eight, nine years old, with everything possible. This burger was bigger than both my hands together. That's my vivid memory of picking up this giant burger with this poppy seed bun. The bottom of the bun is all soggy, of course, you know, which is I need the burger lift. I tried to get it back then, but no one believed me since I was nine. Uh, and, and, you, and you would just eat it and it would go all over your face and it was the greatest thing in the world. And uh, I thought that it was something that only we had where we lived, but apparently they're everywhere. So to me, uh, having a Whataburger at you know, nine, ten years old was one of my greatest burger memories on the planet. That's awesome. And so what was the, uh, what, what's a great burger that you've eaten recently? Oh, uh, I pride myself on two things, gentlemen. Uh, I went to the greatest culinary school on the planet, in my opinion, to learn how to make two things. One, chicken wings. Two, burgers. Uh, I think these are the greatest American foods on the planet. Uh, in my opinion, uh, when you get a burger, it's all about how you cook it. It's all about taking the time and enjoying it. So to me, uh, you can go all over the place. You can go to California, and they're going to put avocado on their shit. You can go Midwest, and they're going to make you a Juicy Lucy and put cheese in the middle of it. I think keeping it simple, having a great grind, having a great mix of beef in that burger and seasoning it is the most important thing on the planet. Using a great little bit of kosher salt and putting it right on top when you season that burger, it almost creates this awesome crust with it. So when you get this burger, uh, it, it's just, it's almost like a present. That's how I look at it. So to me, uh, most recently, my favorite burger is the one I made on my wood-burning grill outside here at my house. Well, All right. That is an acceptable answer, but I just want to say one thing. Earlier well, today, I went through your Instagram account. I saw a grand total of one photo of one burger on there. So if you're boasting yep. your own burgers, I need to see more of them. Well, here's the thing. My, my bar is so high, and I, I have so many people who I know are such burger connoisseurs, such as yourself and, and Rev, that uh, the last thing I want to do is put mediocrity on there. So uh, I, if I don't feel it's up to standards, then I won't do it. I will not do it. I will not put it on there, and I will not be ridiculed by two burger gentlemen who are such connoisseurs as yourselves. I mean, I'll come over and take the picture and then eat that burger myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you guys think about those people who put a bunch of cheese in their, in their burger and then try to grill it? Like inside the burger? Yeah, you take your, you take your ground beef, you know, and, and, you have a, and, and they put cheese actually in the mix and then, you know, patty it and then try to grill it. I've, I've never really heard of that happening, like, in the grind. Really? Outside, I mean, I know of, of like a Juicy Lucy, sure, but beyond that, no. Yeah, well, I see it all the time around here. People are putting cheese, like they'll take blue cheese and just mix it into their grind, you know, with their hand and then make their patty and then grill it. But then the cheese just melts all away and goes into the grill. I, I was going to say that seems almost counterproductive. You're just going to lose a bunch of cheese. Completely. And then who wants a taste of burnt cheese and burnt fat on their food? Oh, I, I don't know. When I worked at McDonald's, <laughs> we used to put slices of American cheese on the grill and get them crunchy and then eat them like cheese at crackers. Those were delicious. Wow, cheese at crackers. Maybe putting cheese at crackers in your burger grind might be a good way to do it. I'm going to play with it, and I'm going to tell you what, Brad, I'm going to send you some burger pictures here very soon, sir. All right, I'm all about it. Hopefully tomorrow, considering a special delivery package is arriving at the house of Chef Plum tomorrow. Oh, yeah, how about that? Looking forward to that this Wednesday. Make sure you check that out. If you can find it online, we'll tweet it out, of course. I am doing a burger segment on CT Style here in Connecticut, and... Uh, I'm using some uh, very, very fine beef from a company called Schweiden Sons. I'm looking forward to it. An actual sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> this <laughs> has been brought to you by Schweiden Sons. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You guys are killed. This is a great show. I really enjoy listening to it. I check it out when I'm driving home from Westchester or coming home from a client all the time. It's very informative. The guy talking all about uh, how to use things like uh, um, Kickstarter and whatnot was really, really cool to hear. Oh, Mike Tanzilla, he's a good, good dude. We'll have to get you some Burger Lift since we keep talking about that as well. This <coughs> segment of the Like, Bite, and Share has been brought to you by Burger Lift. Burger Lift, for when you need your burger, <laughs> lift it up. <laughs> and hopefully uh, we'll have Brad do it because then maybe he can get credit for it. 
<laughs> oh, that'd be freaking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chef Plum, we, we end the show the same way every time, and I feel like you've really given some great advice today. But what really? Is, I just feel like I'm around my mouth the whole time. <laughs> well, listen, you know, if there's other people out there that want to be Chef Plum, they now know how to do it. <laughs> you, you don't have to write the book. We'll just hand them the audio podcast. <laughs> what, what, is the, what is the one piece of uh, advice you would give somebody in terms of uh, marketing in the culinary business? You know, I think I kind of take it. It all goes hand in hand, in my opinion. I think you got to grab you. If you have a dream in life, if you have something you want to do in life, grab a hold of that dream and never let go of it. And constantly, constantly push using social media, using everyone you talk to. Tell everybody all the time. Never stop talking about it. Someone eventually is going to hear you. So never, ever, ever, no matter what happens, stop and keep pushing forward with it all the time. I promise you, if you put it out there, it will happen. So you're not going to keep talking? No, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, well, uh, I, just, I just realized how much you might question my sexuality after that whole rant. <laughs> That's okay. Whatever you want to be is good with us. Exactly. Exactly. I want to wear assless chaps when I'm on Brad and Dave's show. That's what I want to do. As long as you, you know, cut the onions and put them in the pan and, you know. <laughs> just cut your onions out. Put them in the pan. It's like that guy. What's his name? Bob Ross. And he would paint. We're gonna have a happy little tree right here, and a happy. And this is gonna be a happy little hamster. I don't know why he's in the forest, but he's here. He's happy. He's building a house. I love you, <laughs> Bob Ross. The best video I saw in 2014 on YouTube was Bob Ross auto-tuned. <laughs> Bob Ross auto-tuned. It was incredible. PBS Digital Studios. They're doing amazing things. Chef Plum, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, man, you guys can find me at plumlovefoods.com. That's P-L-U-M-L-U-V-F-O-O-D-S.com. And don't forget, we are live Monday nights on Blog Talk, Stitcher, TuneIn FM, Pro Player Insiders, 10 p.m. That's Eastern Standard Time, 7 p.m. for those of you on the West Coast. Uh, check us out live. We have a lot of great food conversations with some cool people, and we've actually even had Rev on. Uh, we, we are there. We are a live show, and it also gets archived to uh, iTunes and everywhere else you can find your podcast. So make sure you check it out. It's a great show and I love doing it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Plum, for being on today. But you've been an inspiration and, and a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> I appreciate it, gentlemen. You guys keep doing it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidensons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.